Welcome to the Good Fight Podcast. This is Brian Holm, and I'm here with uh, my my friend and, and partner, Denver Ekman, and uh, we're, we're glad to be here uh, with uh, episode nine for this season already that we're entitling, uh, you, you Can't Fight a Wildfire with a Squirt Gun. So uh, hopefully that's a, an intriguing enough title to uh, that we've got your attention, and hopefully we can, can keep it. Yeah, uh, and just speaking of... Uh Season two, episode nine, kind of has gone by pretty quick here. You know, when you kind of look back, it doesn't seem like we've gone this far, but I've certainly enjoyed it, and uh, I hope everybody listening has uh, benefited from it somehow. Yeah. Well, this particular um, episode really I- issues out of uh, some some of my own experience, and as Denver and I have talked together, is our diet with dialogue with different friends of ours. Uh, as I've just kind of arise out of my Bible study from some of the passages in the Bible I've been studying. Um, so I, we're just going to start out talking about how it, it'll be worth a future episode one sometime to talk about the difference between classical liberalism and leftism. This is something Dennis Prager makes a lot about, and I think it's very helpful. Uh, I think it's something you could make maybe too much out of. But uh, just to in, by way of introduction, when we're talking about the classical liberal, uh, it, it's somebody who believes in like being able to think through issues, discussing them with other people, even if they don't agree, finding common ground with them, and maybe coming up with a mutually agreeable solution to that. Um, typically, a classical liberal can be reasoned with. Uh, they believe there's such a thing as absolute truth that can be uh, discovered, discussed, embraced. Uh, you know, they're open to compromise and, and open to learning from others, uh, even as they seek out to lay out uh, the case that is on their mind. So, it, generally, as conservatives, we can partner with liberals uh, that are of goodwill to, to try to deal with the real issues of the day, uh, despite our differences of opinion we might have and how to accomplish that. So, our approach with them can be the, one of reasonable, calm, respectful uh, dialogue that's generally mutual. So, uh, and so tolerance and improvement for for all uh, is the goal. And uh, some people just that come to mind uh, that are like that out there today. James Lindsay is a uh, is a college professor that that wrote a wonderful book called Cynical Theories uh, that uh, even from a non Christian perspective takes to task uh, critical theory. Uh, Jordan Peterson, Barry Weiss uh, that resigned from the New York Times just because of some of the terrible things that she saw going on there. So uh, generally, that's that's what we're referring. So that's one kind of person that we would uh, find ourselves uh, talking with. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is lost today. Uh, and uh, on to our, you know, our next point is uh, it's different from the modern leftist. The modern leftist, on the other hand, really doesn't uh, is not open to their true objective. Rather, they masquerade it, uh, and it's really very, very harmful and, and unacceptable to most people. Um, they take a problem uh, with a with a disgruntled group of people, and, and they make it the case to a, to accomplish a goal by tearing down a good system. And if you go back a couple episodes, we kind of talk talked about this and with Marxism. Um, and this is really you just have to find a unifying platform to take a group of people who, like I said, are disgruntled and move forward with an agenda. Um. Now, dealing with these lefts, leftists is really going to require a different approach than we would with uh, classic liberals. Like Brian said, you can reason with these people. 
leftists, it's really, really much harder. Um, I think the idea behind of behind trying to deal with them is we have to take a different approach. You have to be more assertive. Um, can't be really too nice. Um, but then again, you know, you don't want to be ingenuine. Um, and we don't really mean to be mean or shrill as we uh, seek to speak the truth. Um, but it's just different when you have to negotiate with these types of people. And to kind of give you an idea, you know, these people may include somebody like a Bernie Sanders or Talib or Omar or AOC, uh, the squad, kind of think of those people, uh, this kind of new generation of leftists that's kind of seemed like they're taking over the party. Um, and you can kind of see it with our president, Joe Biden, how he has changed some of his views over the years, heavily influenced by people like this. Yeah, and I would just add that that uh, in, in terms of negotiating with them, there 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 really is a, in a hard when it's a hardcore situation, there really is no negotiating. They may uh, seek to give in on some point, uh, but will kind of just wait. Uh, for the opportunity to uh, to get around that and a- accomplish their original goal, so because basically the ideas are mutually exclusive, and so uh, in, in so many cases it's like one set of ideas has got to win out over another set of ideas, and uh, that that's what makes it very challenging and something that we we have to realize, and I think we get blindsided by that. So we can't deal with with one group the way we might deal with another group, and I think sometimes, uh, just for us, we we want to be nice, we want to be tolerant, we we want to practice the golden rule, treat others as uh, as as uh, uh, we would have them treat us, but that just uh, looking at the hardcore side of that, that's just an impossibility. So it just makes it more complicated. Yeah, I was speaking with someone who's pretty close to me uh, the other day, and they mentioned we live in a win-or-take-all society. Mm. And it's kind of true for both sides, maybe more true for one than the other, but it's unfortunate that compromise has kind of left the the stage and we're kind of forced to, uh, you know, like the person said, it's a win-or-take-all, and not a lot of compromise happens anymore, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Well, after the break, we're going to uh, kind of unpack it a little bit and then uh, figure out some, uh, some methodologies we can, uh, can, can use to deal with both, uh, both sides of the equation. So All we'll right. be right back. Okay, and we're back. Um, and just to start off, one of the compliments we've gotten uh, most often about our Good Fight podcast approach is that we are not, you know, angry uh, in advocating for uh, our conservative Christian solutions to today's issues, and and that is by design. Um, plus, that is both Brian and I's basic temperament. We think. <laughs> yeah, and and a, a lot of the impetus for this episode comes out of just kind of my personal experience uh, lately, as I've really been struggling with how I interact with people about different issues, and and a lot of it. Sometimes I find that that uh, I have conversations with people that that shut down uh, when I really don't intend for them to, and I want to keep them open. 
Uh, and yet sometimes uh, I, I, I try to be too nice with a, with a different audience, and then uh, that doesn't work out. So I just have been thinking about these different types of, uh, of, of audiences, basically, and how we interact with them and figure out how to interact with which, which one. So uh, one of my dilemmas has been I, in, in some situations, I either just am passively silent and let the person just say whatever they want to say and assert what they want to assert, not do anything, or I'm kind of get angry and defensive. And I found that both of those, uh, or neither one is a good platform to, to positively uh, assert for the, the truth as we see it. So um, I'm just really trying to come up with a way to be positive, to be confident, uh, to not be paranoid um, uh, and and not go to either one of these poles, one of which keeps me, my silence keeps me from completing my God-given mission, and the other one uh, just shuts down the conversation. So, uh, so here we are with trying to, you know, calmly and confidently assert the truth we see, tailor our approach um, to the audience that we're interacting. And so, uh, if if there are people of goodwill, even though we might disagree, um, then we can remain respectful and open and take lots of time to talk. But with people have, have, that have more nefarious motives, uh, how can I remain calm and in control and not fall victim to them, but also uh, 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 can either confront them to the extent that I'm able or not waste time uh, trying to argue with somebody that is just not even interested in what I have to say. So that, that's kind of the two, um, two issues. So I think it's important for all of our audience uh, maybe to, to know about this and, and maybe to be able to have uh, better conversations about it. Yeah, and I, I've kind of struggled with this um over over my life as well and in time when i would want to calmly and confidently assert the truth depending on the audience sometimes like brian says i'll shut down but i'll shut down maybe in a different way and in some cases i've been um maybe scared to assert the truth which i shouldn't be um and and, and that's happened multiple multiple times um throughout my life um but but there should be no reason to be scared in that um, if you are fully confident in truth and I am um, so there's that and now going back to uh, our last or our introduction um, it, it really depends on who you're dealing with but you want to try to uh, be the same person in every situation whether it's somebody you agree with disagree with or maybe a little bit in between and Brian and I were having a conversation last week about um, when we're talking with somebody who we do disagree on, it's good to try to find common ground early in the conversation so you can establish that and maybe make the conversation a little bit easier as, as it goes on. Yeah, and I, I think we've got some some pretty good suggestions later on in our last segment uh, for for how to maybe keep a conversation going longer than than, uh, than maybe we have. So, um, well, we want to offer a couple of, uh, of biblical examples uh, of uh, how Jesus dealt with uh, two very different types of audiences. Um, and so, uh, without kind of overly spiritualizing, and we realize that, uh, that, that we don't have Jesus' divine powers of discernment, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's good to, to, to see him be able to 
uh, kind of tailor the approach to the people he was dealing with. So here's a couple of examples we'd like to give from the New Testament Gospels. So the the first one that I'm going to go through here is it is a kind of an honest person that we'd probably call a a, a seeker or somebody that was open to the truth. The the woman at the well uh, described in John four seven to forty two. Now Jesus at the beginning was very countercultural and even speaking to a woman. Uh, and then speaking to a non-Jew, a despised Samaritan, and so um, he, uh, you know, that was one thing to note. Another thing is this whole thing came about just as a result of a of a day of like a regular interaction and started a conversation. And so uh, I think it's good to realize that we can use our day-to-day interactions and conversations as a springboard to help discuss important things. So this the woman at the well. Um, uh, she had had a hard life. Uh, she was understandably somewhat cynical about uh, about religion in general. But that that Jesus very calmly, slowly, patiently led her along. He drew her out. He he asked questions. Uh, but he eventually created a spiritual thirst uh, uh, in her that he could use the illustration of the living water uh, with her. That was essentially Jesus himself. So after he'd listened to her and again drawn her out and shown compassion, uh, he offered her essentially the gift of himself. Uh, and after that, he very matter-of-factly uh, confronted her with her sin and uh, revealed himself to her as the promised Messiah. And that was one of his earliest uh, identifications of himself as the Messiah. So uh, after that, the woman went out and told others about Jesus, and uh, as a result, many others believed in him. And so, I mean, that, there's another good picture that, that, that if we are able to, I mean, and we know the gospel is the main thing, especially with the gospel, but with the, even other things, if we're able to reach one person, that person can go out and within their network do a lot of good uh, to communicate that same thing with other people. Yeah. And now to our, our second example, uh, Jesus' response to that sincere woman was really a lot different from his response uh, to the people who had really no interest in anything he had to say, who were really purposely seeking to entrap him uh, in Matthew twenty two twenty three through 33. They had asked him uh, a hypothetical question based on a concept of resurrection uh, that they themselves really didn't even believe in. And then this passage is in the midst of several others that describe different Jewish groups trying to entrap him and discredit him. But in contrast to the previous example, uh, Jesus bypasses their question entirely and proclaims, quote, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That was Matthew twenty-two, twenty-nine, And he goes on um, to correct their erroneous references. The passage concludes, and when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And this is a great example of how we want to continue to be more like Jesus every day. How to decipher what people are really meaning when they come out and um, maybe make certain claims. Yeah, and just to say, to, to, to propose that each of these different types of responses is perfectly appropriate for us, given the motives of the people that we're dealing with. 
and um, and so how to discern those motives is another matter. But in our our segment where we're going to follow I'm, up, I'm we want to kind of point out and some uh, we've already talked about Dennis Prager. That, uh, we feel uh, are doing this well. Is our and, uh, um, some our, our some wonderful allies for dealing with this? And we've got a couple of sound clips. The blessings we have as Americans, the importance of preserving freedom, this latter type of person of virtue in the public square, and kind of that golden triangle of freedom thing. And uh, so just uh, lots of, of good ways where we can resonate. I, I, I came across something this week, and I, I've got the link to it in the, uh, in the resources, but I just want to describe it a little bit. But there is a, um, uh, we, we, we did a segment on what do we do when we agree with people so much about their, their political views and their concern for the country, but that we have some theological differences with them. And, and it's just a perfect example of how uh, Dennis Prager, as a very confident uh, uh, Jew, um, uh, is, is so much our friend and ally that sometimes we tend to forget that there may be some theological things. So, uh, it was a discussion between him, uh, Dennis Prager, and Alistair Begg, who was a uh, quite well-known uh, evangelical uh, preacher, uh, uh, pastors of a wonderful church in Ohio. Uh, he comes from Scotland, and so he's, uh, he's wonderful to listen to. But uh, in this discussion... Um, and it was very friendly. It's a great example of how uh, people of goodwill can have a dialogue, find common ground, and then discuss very calmly their differences uh, and seek to persuade one another and yet uh, part friends and then go out and, and be, be allies together. So um, I, I, would, um, I would really commend that to you if you want to listen to it. I think it's about an, an hour, hour and a half discussion, but I think it's very much worth it because it, you really hear from a Jewish perspective uh, uh, how um, uh, the justification for how you can possibly be good enough to enter the kingdom of God. And then you hear from a Christian uh, perspective, uh, the New Testament references how that just isn't God's economy. And that uh, that um, if, if you if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Him dying for your sins, uh, then you're you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, and so, just uh, I would really commend that to you uh, to to listen to is something very worthwhile. Well, that's going to be on my list this week. Not only because of you know how you described it, but also I just like listening to Dennis Prager. He's got a fascinating voice that I can listen to for a long time. So uh, that'll be uh, good for me to watch. Um, now, my lightning round um, is um, is something that I may have talked about a couple weeks ago, but it's it's much different now. Um, and, and that is the mask mandates um, still in place uh, in most parts around the country. But the reason I'm bringing it up um, is because if you had watched the State of the Union, which there's really no reason why you should have, but if you did... Um, it was, um, they relieved the capital mask mandate for people to gather in there. Um, you know, there was no social distance guidelines, none of, no, nothing like that. Completely maskless. Um, we can even go back to the Super Bowl, uh, where you saw, uh, celebrities and the governor of California maskless, not social distancing, etc. Yet, we have infants in daycare who are required to social distance, required to wear a mask. Um, it, it's not right by any means. It wasn't right a year ago. It wasn't right 
two years ago when this all went down. Um, but here we are two years later, um, and you know we've got elites not following the rules that they that they are putting into place, which really is comes to no surprise because yes, they are the elites. They never follow their own rules. But we have caught them red-handed with not following their own rules. Um, and I just, uh, you know, if I had a child that, you know, was going to daycare and had to be masked, I would be infuriated. And I know there's parents all around the country who uh, are feeling this anger, um, and, and rightfully so. So I just wanted to mention that, that we got to continue to try to do everything we can to push back um, to... Um, call these people out and call for um, uh, these mandates to be to be relieved. And I would just like to point out Ted Cruz and what a great um, thing that he's doing every day, coming out and uh, against this. And you know we can't let up. You can't just because maybe what we're saying is not working right now. You have to be relentless because if you just stop, you already lost the war. So you got to continue to push on. And I, I really. Um, uh, commend uh, Ted Cruz for doing so. Yeah, he's another really good example of a bold warrior, and uh, um, we'll have to add him to our list of the, of those people later. And I just say too, and and uh, this one thing I really appreciate Clay Travis and Buck Sexton talking about on their radio show and podcast is that uh, that we not only just want need to want the mask mandates and the shutdowns to go away, we've got to keep pushing that advantage and making sure that this mechanism is not allowed to take hold in the long-term, semi-permanent way that it is, that with a snap of the fingers could be brought back to us. And I think that's something all of us really need to think about, because uh, the more and more time goes by, even though we there's lots of other stuff for us to think about, uh, we need to have safeguards in place and be aware that, that was those were inappropriate and and basically useless solutions the way that they were rolled out. Yep, little good news here, uh, and it's it's good news, but also ominous news, and how important. Uh, just another illustration of how important one vote is, and um, uh, in the House and Senate there was a bill proposed that basically would have uh, put into national law. Uh, and, and made legal abortion through all stages of pregnancy for any reason, and just basically as a preemptive strike uh, in anticipation of Roe versus Wade um, being overturned. And uh, just for, for Christians and so many others on so many levels, this is just so wrong and such an overreach. And by one vote in the Senate, that was struck down. And we know Joe Biden would certainly have signed it. Uh, that doesn't speak well for us that it, it was one vote, but still, uh, that was kept from happening. And so, uh, just it's just a good reminder that we need to uh, be very vigilant and uh, make sure that those one vote margins are as, as minimal as possible. But also be thankful and praise God uh, that that uh, was kept from happening. And another reminder that the. Uh the 22 midterms are coming up, so uh, <laughs> uh, to, to continue to, to keep this uh, types of things down like that, we need to continue to try to find people and elect people that will um, uh, make sure that these things don't go through. Yep. Pray, 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 and work, work, work. So there we go. Back in a second, following up on our previous conversation.
back uh, with uh, segment three here. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, the sincere seeker of truth who happens to disagree with us. Um, and now this is where uh, Brian was kind of mentioning earlier um, about the discussion between Dennis Prager and Alistair Begg uh, regarding people who think conservatively politically but disagree profoundly theologically. And, and um, even kind of, kind of like Jesus and the woman at the well, if you can think of it in those terms, it's not quite the same, but that same yeah. way too. Yeah. Um, and as far as the principles of how we want to kind of uh, attack this is we need to listen first and really try to understand where they're coming from. And, you know, it's really easy to say, a little bit harder to do, but really try to be genuine when you, try to, when you do that. Yeah. And another thing I'm, I'm really trying to work on is just to be able to ask good questions and ask a lot of questions and, and uh, just kind of help uh, put the other person at ease. And, and the key is sincerely being interested in the answers to the questions <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, trying to see, uh, see from there. Yeah, and to go along with that, you want to try to lead them along, not really manipulate but by asking questions, you know, you're trying to get to a point. Um, and if you can do that in a way that, um, you know, is going to reach some common ground where they may understand a little bit more, then that's what we want to try to do. Yeah. Now, here, here's where it starts to get difficult, for me anyway, that <laughs> it, even though we're, we're confident and we feel like, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to articulate things the Lord has put on our hearts, it's good to truly be open to the things that they may be right about or that they have a perspective on. Uh, not to be af afraid to affirm that they're right about something or, oh, I didn't know that, uh, but to truly be open. Because, you know, if, if we want others, if we want people to be open to us, we have to be willing to be open uh, to them. And uh, I think that, that shows you know, a, a good faith on our part to be able to do that. Yeah, and that's the hardest part for me. Is uh, but I, I do want to work on that myself. Um, and as we spoke about a little bit earlier, you really want to try to seek and affirm some common ground um, to identify as many points of unity as possible through your conversation. Um, and um, it, it's obviously not the easiest thing to do, uh, but this is the flaw in most left uh, ideologies uh, that they're destructive, not con constructive. Uh, uh, revolutionary and not reformatory. So, uh, and I, I've talked a lot about that in a couple of my classes uh, about the revolutionary part. <laughs> mm. Yep. And finally, uh, just at the end of the day, you want to try to make the, your best case for your own views, uh, point out sincere questions or the, the flaws that you perceived in their views or their arguments. Um, and, and seek a unified way forward if possible. Like there's so many of the issues of the day, whether it's healthcare or the border or race relations or anything like that, if we could just with goodwill try to come up with constructive, really, really helpful solutions, it would be so good. So seek that and wherever it's, it's necessary, wherever you can't do that, just seek to agree to disagree, but still try to be respectful and uh, remember that common ground that you have with them. So uh, now that in, in some ways that's the easier part, but then how do we deal with the ideological adversary that's not really interested in anything we have to say, but they're just using our interaction as a way to maybe get their point across uh, and then maybe discredit us or tear us down. So that, that's 
kind of where that, that challenge goes in. So I mean, I, as I think this through, uh, I just want to try to identify as early as possible that this indeed is the type of person that I'm dealing with and then uh, adjust my approach accordingly. Yeah, and with that, um, with that type of person, there's really only so much you can do, and it's important to remember that and not get yourself too down you know, when you can't find common ground or you can't convince them or anything of anything, you may come away uh, like you've lost the battle and you don't want to think too much like that. Just understand that they are the, the way that they are and there is some, only so much that you can do. Yeah. And I think a common mistake that people like us make when we're dealing with people like that is that we, we allow ourselves to kind of get led down rabbit holes uh, or you know, out into the weeds someplace where uh, we end up, you know, not not you know, looking good or not pay, making our point well. And I think uh, in our in our clips that we're going to play a little bit, uh, our the speaker in the clips does a really good job of not allowing that to happen. Yeah, and it's not necessary to be loud or, or obnoxious or mean. It, the loudest person does not always win the argument. Um, a lot of the times it could be the opposite, really. And I think it speaks well of a person who can, as we talked about earlier, calmly and confidently uh, display truth and, and speak their point. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so, um, you know, and then if possible, we can calmly, without being nasty about it, just confront their motives and, and identify that. And again, our, our, our speaker in the clips does a good job of that. Uh, and, and then, if it's possible, try to uh, assert the truth uh, if, if we think that we can uh, can accomplish that if we're in a position to do it. Yeah, and, and if not, I think a big power move is to politely end the conversation. That's really not what they're um, interested in or uh, you know, what they want to do uh, with, with you in the conversation. And it, it's, it speaks a lot of you to just end it, you know, being the bigger person in, in that way. Yeah. Well, uh, and so a couple of uh, audio clips here. So we're uh, kind of uh, using this type of resource for the first time, and I think it's very uh, appropriate here. So our, our speaker is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, and uh, he is addressing something that you may have noticed in the news, that Florida, the Florida legislature is, is, uh, is seeking to pass uh, a, a bill that would prevent... Uh, in in uh, in schools pre- prevent um, uh, sexuality, gender ideology, anything to do basically with 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 sexual education at all, present that from being taught in the public schools. And so um, I think that there are people out there who, on purpose, are seeking to uh, to indoctrinate young students uh, that young. And that a lot of us as parents and grandparents uh, don't think that's appropriate. And so uh, the adversaries have, have come up with a, a, a title that really uh, does not describe the bill, but they're calling it the Don't Say Gay Bill. And uh, in our first clip that you're going to hear, Governor DeSantis, uh, you, it's hard to hear the person asking him the question, but basically they're talking about the Don't Say Gay Bill and are trying to kind of lead him down one of those rabbit holes. And uh, I think you'll enjoy hearing uh, basically how he uh, uh, confronts that, ignores the question, and, uh, and, and puts it right back to them in a wonderful way. 
rights and education, what critics call the don't say gay bill, is on the Senate floor. Does it say that in the bill? Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because you are pushing false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. It says it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation. For who? For, for grades pre-K through three. So five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And um, the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says, it's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. Okay, and yeah, that was a perfect example of what we were talking about, how to call out the opposition um, in a calm and confident type of way. Now, we have one more clip that we want to share, and this one, to give a little bit of background, uh, is DeSantis uh, giving some feedback <laughs> to Disney, basically, their chief executive, um, had made some comments and obviously he represents Disney in a large way. Um, and, uh, the chief executive said that, uh, this bill that, uh, we, uh, that DeSantis was just talking about in the last clip is quote, yet another challenge to basic human rights. Uh, there's a lot of other quotes and he, he talked a lot more about it, but, um, that kind of gives you the idea of what, uh, he thinks, uh, the chief executive of Disney thinks about the bill. And then our next clip is kind of uh, DeSantis's response. So here we go. Companies that have made a fortune off being family friendly and catering to families and young kids, you know, they should understand that parents of young kids do not want this injected into their kids' kindergarten classroom. Our policy is going to be based on the best interest of Florida citizens, not on the musing of corporations. We're back. Uh, we hope that you um, enjoyed those clips. I know that they were both very informative and very inspirational to me. And uh, I'm, I'm not a person that, that likes being obnoxious or nasty or anything like that. But just as I as I looked at that, I, I, I when I need to, I I want to be able to be bold and courageous enough to do things like that, and to not get uh, not get bowled over. And so both I think uh, both of those clips represented really good examples. Yeah, I, I agree. I would love to be able to to point things out and push back in a way that Ron DeSantis did. And I've listened to those clips many, many times, and I can understand when people, where people would be coming from when they said, well, you know, Ron DeSantis kind of had a uh, higher voice uh, when he responded, but if you've listened to Ron DeSantis, he always kind of has that tone. So it's not him coming off as, you know, anything but him as himself. And so, and I, I just think he responded in a, uh, a very dignified way um, and some lessons that we can all take um, from those two clips, which by the way, uh, I'm glad we were able to put those clips in. Um, took me some time to figure out how to do that, but <laughs> glad we could do it. Now we know.
Yeah. <laughs> well, just a few others that are, are and, and there's a, a long list of a few other people that, that we feel are, are very good, good examples of people who are able to cover both sides of this, this uh, the, the spectrum of audiences that we're talking about, but also just to be very uh, assertive when they have to. Uh, and the first person that came to my mind is Mike Pompeo. And uh, just, uh, you know, what a great, uh, you know, wonderful person, quiet, relatively soft-spoken, uh, but can uh, really tell the hard truth uh, when he needs to. So, uh, I admire that, and he's our brother in Christ, so that's uh, another added bonus. Yeah, I, uh, Brian and I both had the uh, the pleasure of seeing him speak in person at uh, Brian's church, and um, uh, it He's the same person when you when you see him um, uh, live, and that was a really cool opportunity. Um, and he lost a lot of weight; he looks good. Um, another person on that list is uh, is Mike Pence, and uh, I was just uh, mentioning that I uh, remember watching the vice presidential debate of 2020 between him and Kamala Harris, and we know how Kamala Harris is. She is uh, nasty and, and mean and loud and obnoxious. <laughs> and um, uh, Mike Pence was responding uh, to her uh, claims, and he did it in a way that was uh, uh, calm, uh, in, in good faith, and you know that's how we should try to debate. And I, I think it was um, reported that you know Mike Pence won that debate. Um, even from some liberal medias. So that was a lot coming from them, and it speaks well of Mike Pence. Yeah. Well, and then just to, to mention a few other names, uh, Nikki Haley, I think, did a wonderful job as the ambassador <clears throat> to the UN. Um, uh, Sam Brownback, and, uh, who's a former governor of Kansas and then was our uh, ambassador for religious freedom around the world. Um, I've put in the resources a wonderful podcast of uh, with him as a guest, just talking about some of the, the things about China and, and others. Uh, and then we talked about Ted Cruz, but we could go on and on with that. But uh, just before we conclude the segment, I, I neglected to, to talk about where we got the whole squirt gun idea from. And that was from uh, another Dennis Prager episode where he talked about how in, in the past that uh, many leading Republicans uh, kind of tried to, to to fight the ideological, political um, battles with a squirt gun. And so he talked about um, uh, uh, people like Bob Dole, who was a wonderful guy, uh, but just uh, and with a wonderful war record, but didn't really step up to the plate. John McCain, uh, really both Bush, President Bush uh, uh, people. And, and, um, and so that's where you've got it. You know, re Republican just fighting, fighting with a squirt gun uh, when other kinds of, uh, of, of weapons are necessary given the challenge that's there. When you mention those names and also just adding to that small list would be, would be Mitt Romney. Yes. So you think of Mitt Romney, John McCain, both Bushes, and Bob Dole all Republican presidential candidates. So these people were were or are still representing our party, yet they're just not um, the ones to really uh, lead the fight. So maybe that's a little bit on us for not choosing the right people too. Yeah. Well, we have to, we have to discern the times. And I think the times call for uh, a, a more assertive approach because the stakes are very high out there. We'll be right back with our conclusion and the quote of the week.
we're back to wrap it up. Um, and we'll just go ahead and kind of start it off with our uh, tradition of uh, the quote of the week. Uh, this one comes from Romans uh, twelve eighteen, and it says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peace- peacefully, peaceably with all. Um, and that really has, uh, speaks volumes to me. Um, and it is a quote um, uh, from, from Romans that really um, uh, signifies something of, of today and what people should be uh, really trying to, to, to seek um, as there's so much violence and, and disarray in the world uh, right now. And, and peace is definitely something that, that we need and something that we can pray for as well. Yeah. And for me, who's, uh, you know, my, my besetting sin, or one of them, I suppose, <laughs> is my timidity, uh, you know, trying to please people. I mean, I love to bring people together and stuff like that, but uh, I, I love that so far as it depends on you. And I, I want to do everything I can, uh, but sometimes uh, all the, the, the appropriate thing to do is to have to fight or to be, be assertive. And, uh, you know, our... our uh, just, uh, it's, I'm trying to get my head around that if I try to assert the truth, especially God's truth, there's going to be some people mad, uh, and probably even worse. And I, I just, I just need to make sure it's the right people mad. And uh, if 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 nobody else is going to be pleased, I want God to be pleased with me. So, and I guess that's why our podcast is named the way it is. That uh, yeah. there's a there's a fight going on out there, a spiritual battle. Yep, and the main thing is the main thing, and um, salvation, and salvation for ourselves and for others, and that's, you know, what we kind of want to focus on, but, yeah. Yep, well, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know you're listening, and uh, goodfight71 at gmail.com. Uh, love to all of you, and uh, uh, peace on our world for peace for the innocents and exposure and putting down evil. So let's keep praying about that. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Keep up the good fight. God bless. Bye.